What does an elephant in Africa, a penguin in Patagonia, and a caribou in the Yukon have in common? Habitat loss. Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Hello, we are Kira, Nolan, and James, and today we're going to talk to you about a project occurring in Argentina, and its relationship to the issues of habitat loss. Our story begins in 2014 in South America, in a landscape full of rainforests, wetlands, and ice fields. It was here that a project was proposed to create a protected area that spans 28 million acres and has the second highest rate of carbon storage in South America, second only to the Amazon River Basin. Completed, it will protect 140 species of birds, and 46 different kinds of mammals, including native species found nowhere else in the world. But how does it accomplish this? Well, it all comes down to preventing habitat loss. Through the lens of conservation, we often highlight individuals. Pandas, polar bears, koalas. When in reality, the protection of these individual species is inadequate to support species that rely on large landscapes or specific niches. It is for this reason that habitat loss is one of the primary drivers of extinction. And of course, protecting the habitat brings every species together in a form of all for one and one for all. By conserving one habitat, we conserve all the species within. To do this, join us on a trip around the world from the comfort of your couch as we dive into habitat corridors as in Argentina, the hidden benefits of conserving biodiversity for your health and how you, yes you, can join the movement. To kick things off, let's begin by touring a conservation corridor close to our own backyard, the Y2Y. The Y2Y spans 2,000 miles from Yellowstone to Yukon, a territory in Northwest Canada. It encompasses six different types of ecosystems and transverses five American states, two Canadian provinces, two Canadian territories, and 75 indigenous territories. Apart from conserving a large landmass for future generations of humans to admire, the goal behind the Y2Y is to maintain an area large enough to contain the seasonal movements of wide-ranging species, notably bears, caribou, and wolf populations. For our next journey, let's venture to Africa. The South African National Parks Conservation Corridor originated in the early 1990s and is currently the size of Maryland at 13,500 square miles, but hopes to expand to an area that is roughly the size of Iowa at 55,000 square miles. The land contained within the sand parks holds strong cultural ties for the tribes who have inhabited the land for centuries, and the money generated by ecotourism encourages protection and conservation. Seven different governments and 12 international organizations currently combine efforts 
to protect five different ecosystem types that are home to 147 mammals, 116 reptiles, 49 species of fish, 34 species of frog, and a minimum of 500 species of birds. Additionally, it also contains 2,000 species of plant. The next topic I would like to address is why conservation corridors work. The biggest thing is that these wildlife corridors save every being in the ecosystem of the main species we think of saving. Take for example a line from my dad's favorite movie, The Lion King. Mufasa and Simba look out from Pride Rock to their grasslands below. As Mufasa explains the boundaries of their territory to Simba and why he must never go to the shadow place, a group of buzzards swoop into action. Mufasa explains that the buzzards are doing what they're supposed to do. Everything exists in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. But Dad, don't we eat the antelope? Simba asks. Yes, but when we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. Everything is connected in the great circle of life. Now let's discuss why conservation corridors exist. While reasons vary, corridors exist because of people who want to save nature and the animals who inhabit it. This, however, does not come without risks, as Nolan will now explain. Habitat corridors are great for allowing animals to migrate and promote wildlife. But how does that help us? Well, in a recent paper in 2014, we found that more biodiverse a community or population a species is, the less likely there is disease transfer from that habitat to people. This study focused mostly on Lyme disease in mice. It follows the same kind of premise, which shows that when you start increasing biodiversity in an area, you decrease the likelihood of disease spreading between animals within it, as well as to the people surrounding it. It's kind of like when you try to put food dye in water. Now imagine it with me. You're trying to create a colored food dye pot for a party, and you have this giant pot that you want to start adding color to. When you drop one drop into that giant pot, you can't really tell that you did anything. The color is so faint, so light, that there was no real way to go, hmm, well, that actually had a major effect. Now imagine that same drop of food dye, but if we had a smaller glass. Let's say a drinking glass, or your favorite coffee mug. When you drop that one drop, you see a larger impact of color. If you drop blue dye, you see it turn blue instantaneously, and the entire cup becomes blue. And that's kind of what we're looking at when we think about how biodiversity affects disease. You see, disease is that color dye. We often know it exists, we know that it is in the area, but sometimes if we have enough biodiversity or water, enough diffusion, as we call it in science, throughout the landscape, becomes manageable and doesn't really affect us at all because we don't actually get to see the impact. But as we start chipping away at that biodiversity or getting rid of the water, moving from that giant pot to that small mug of ours, then you're dealing with more likely a chance that you'll see disease or that disease spreads to you. Now, this is one reason that we have to protect biodiversity. And it is one of the reasons that when looking at species protection, we want to put biodiversity first. So how can we do that? Nolan, what a great question. Let's get into it. Your impact as a single human being is really dramatic. And the way you utilize your power 
is extremely important. This power has the ability to protect habitats and reduce diseases by protecting biodiversity. Our topics of corridors begin with a simple action you can do to support these landmasses. Visit them. Wildlife-focused tourism is extremely powerful when done correctly. This means that when you visit these parks and natural places, you must respect the habitat and have no influence on it. For example, you should observe nature from a distance, which is something that's extremely difficult for us humans. However, this is so important to keep the best interests of the habitat and animals in mind. Next, pack out your trash and your waste. This ties into the idea that you should never feed animals. Our food isn't their natural diet and can cause great damage in their gastrointestinal systems. When you do explore these parks and natural places, hike on designated trails only. A great way to make sure that you're doing this is by hiring a local guide. These people know this land and can show you how to respect it. Finally, one of the most important is not removing anything from its natural habitat. This contributes to habitat loss and potential spread of diseases depending on these items. Wildlife-focused tourism also incorporates other aspects that contribute to supporting the land. These include being respectful of the local culture that utilizes the land and exists among it. And how have they protected this land for generations? Having conversations with these local people illustrates one's eagerness to gain important perspectives of people who have great local and historical knowledge. This knowledge often includes what has worked and what is not to protect these places. Additionally, hearing the histories of the land offers an opportunity to see what turbulent things it has been through. If you have the opportunity to engage in monetary transactions, make sure they support the right people, meaning the people that live close to you or in these places. Our final mechanism to support these corridors is through volunteering. One such organization you could volunteer with is the Tompkins Conservation Organization. This group was founded by people who are passionate about protecting natural lands in Patagonia and have done amazing work thus far. They have opportunities through Chile, Argentina, and many of the other countries in South America, and many of them aim to increase the biodiversity in corridors. Now that we've spoken on ways you can act, let's do a quick review of what we've learned today. Thanks, James. You now know about the conservation corridors that currently exist and the massive benefit that they have not only for the land and humans that enjoy visiting it, but also for the organisms needed in order for an ecosystem to thrive. The corridor we alluded to at the beginning of the podcast is the Pampas to Patagonia. Contained within its proposed 28 million acres, there will be 24 types of ecosystem that houses 140 species of bird and 46 different kinds of mammal. When it comes to disease within Patagonia, there have not been many emerging diseases in the region that affect humans. However, we do see the effect of diffusion on disease transmission north of Argentina. Research in areas of Brazil and other northern climates have shown that the protection of species with longer lifespans through increased biodiversity decreases disease transmission. This is because animals with longer lifespans tend not to have many diseases that can transfer to humans, while species that are of shorter lifespans tend to carry more zoonotic pathogens. Thus, through the creation of biodiversity protection areas that protect the habitat, we create a barrier between us and the disease, thus promoting the health of the community. Now remember, your voice and your money matter. So how can you use your voice and your money? Well, vote. 
voting is so important to express your needs to your political governing bodies. Also, spend your money, but spend your money on topics and on companies that matter and support the right things that you believe in. Post on social media about things that you're passionate in, share articles, and also look at consumer branding and understand what they support. Remember that this is nature and nature needs you. This is nature and nature needs you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of VetCast. Please continue listening and support us as we grow and learn more about the world around us together. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.